chapter 7. We're going to dive right into the message this morning. I think everyone should have a handout, and we should be good to go here today. The next couple weeks, we're going to, this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to just see some things that really, I think, each of us need to hear and see that will be a help to our hearts and help us in our walk with the Lord. And we see where things, where defilement comes from next week is what we'll be looking at. But this week, we look at chapter number 7 of Mark, and we're going to dive right in and read the first 13 verses this morning. Then I'll give a few thoughts this morning, and we'll dive into the message. Verse number 1 says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. They came a long ways to come to Jesus here. It says, And when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold. As to the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Elias prophesied of you hypocrites. Ooh, Jesus doesn't hold back, does he? As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Look at verse 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Clean hands or a clean heart? Now you might say, well, I would like both. That's a good thing too, right? But the heart, what God sees, is where it all begins. We have a tendency in our world today in our Baptist world a lot, to focus on traditions that have been passed down to us and make light or little of God's word at times. And that should never be the case. God's word and the worship of God should be number one priority for all of us all the time. And we'll look more at that this morning. Father, we need your help today. I thank you for this passage of scripture. I pray you'd help us apply it to our lives and to our hearts and help us today to get what you have for us. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Over 200 years ago, 
Edward Gibbon wrote a six-volume series called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He spent 20 years studying the Roman Empire to find out how a nation so great could implode so quickly. And interestingly, interestingly enough, the first volume was finished in 1776. Anybody know what happened in 1776? I hope as an American you would know, you would know what that is, right? That's the year our country was born. Gibbons listed five reasons for the collapse of the Roman Empire. And I just want to read these to you. And I want you to think about this for a minute this morning. Number one, he said the rapid rise or rapid increase of divorce with the undermining of the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of society, was the number one reason for the fall of the Roman Empire. Number two, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money on bread and circuses. Circuses were big then. We probably do amusement parks today, right? Third thing, the mad craze for pleasure. With sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. That was in 1776. So what led to the fall of the Roman Empire in his view? Divorce, the tearing down of the home, <coughs> high taxes, sports becoming a god is the gist of it. Sports are a good thing, but when sports is your god, there's problems there. Number four, the building of gigantic armies to fight external enemies when the most deadly enemy lied within. Man, these things sound kind of close to home, don't they? And then number five, what led to the, it's number five was the decay of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life, and becoming impotent to guide it. I think we could just look at these five thoughts and it should be a warning to us that that's right where America's headed. And this was written before America was even founded. I'm not going to focus on the first four of those this morning, but I do see number five here, and I don't know if these were in a specific order by him, but number five was the decay of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life, and becoming impotent to guide it. We can so easily focus on religion that we lose sight of the relationship. When we focus on religion and not relationship, we lose what Christianity is all about. Because when it's about religion and not relationship, that's when you have pretenders in the chairs and pews and behind the pulpit. I hear people often say nowadays that they don't come to church because it's full of hypocrites. And I often smile and I just say right back at them, oh, don't let that stop you. Come join us. There's room for another hypocrite to join us. We grow tired in life. We grow tired of people that say one thing and live something opposite, don't we? Yet how often do we do the same thing?
According to the dictionary, a hypocrite is a person who pretends to have beliefs or practices when he or she does not actually possess those things. As used in the Bible, the term hypocrite comes from the ancient Greek theater, where one actor would often play two parts. When saying something humorous, he would hold up a mask with a smiley face, like this. <laughs> and so, because the mask says one thing, but the face behind it is doing something else. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. Or, you know, you're going through your play and you have one like this that comes up. And the person behind it is something else. I thought you two would enjoy that back there. You send me enough pictures of yourselves, at some point they're going to get used for something. And I thought about that yesterday. I'm like, we'll have a little Greek theater in church this morning. But that's when you think of a hypocrite and where the word comes from. Not Joe and, Maria, Joe and uh, Lori as hypocrites, but the fact the mask is on, the person behind the mask is not really doing what the mask says. And so a good actor can imitate speech, mannerisms, and conduct, but literally hypocrite, the word comes from the literal meaning is one who hides behind a mask. Some people do it when they come to church. They're in their car bickering with their wife or their kids. They get out of the car at church and Good morning! And you just put on the smile when you're really a hypocrite at heart. Or you live like the devil all week long. And you come to church to act like a good Christian for an hour. That's what hypocrites do. And at times we're all guilty of it. Because the Lord sees the heart. He knows the heart. As we look this morning, how do we, how can we fight hypocrisy? And we need to, because each of us struggle with it. The best Christian in this room struggles with hypocrisy at times. Don't ever think that you're never a hypocrite, because you are at times. I'm a hypocrite at times. But what we got to realize is, and what we're going to realize this week and next week is, where does this all come from? The heart, you got to understand, the main problem in life that we have is inside. This is where the battle takes place. The heart is what defiles. And I'm not talking about the organ that beats in there. You know what I'm talking about. That's why the Bible makes it clear in the book of Proverbs to keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. This is where it all stems from, the heart. We're going to look at that and realize that this morning as we dive through the message today. Because you've got to understand something. Hypocrisy concentrates on externals. Holiness begins on the inside. The religious leaders in this passage this morning that we're looking at, we're focusing on having clean hands. But Jesus was more concerned about having a clean heart. Before we get to the message and into the notes deeply today, I want to give you a few observations, and I don't believe these are in your notes, but I want to give you a few observations. Much of Mark's material focuses on what Jesus did. You'll notice that as we've gone through the first six chapters. Chapter 7 is different 
than what we've done so far because chapter 7 focuses more on what Jesus says. So much of the gospel of Mark shows the miracles and all that Jesus did, but in these verses we get to hear in the book of Mark the message that Jesus had. That's one thing I want you to remember here. Also from this point on in Mark's gospel, we see the popularity of Jesus begin to decline. You're going to see more people getting frustrated with him and leaving him. And instead of these huge crowds, you can see he's got about a year left in his ministry at this point. And this is leading down the road to where it's going to all come to a conclusion. The third thing is, you'll notice in the verses we read this morning, that the word tradition is used five different times. In verse 3, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 13. And while traditions can be good things, Jesus is showing us that traditions must not be more important than the Word of God. God's Word trumps tradition every single time. And then last thing is, the key verse that will help us unpack the message today is verse number 7. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The word vain means groundless, invalid, hypocritical. We don't want our worship of God to be vain, do we? Then there are some things that we need to look at this morning and learn from this passage of Scripture. Number one, as we dive in today, you might want to buckle up. You might want to get ready because the message is coming today, and it's coming for all of us. Number one, we see the legalists confront Jesus. The legalists, they confront Jesus. We see this right away in this passage. And in fact, let's just dive right into some thoughts here underneath this point. Letter A, we see that legalists love other legalists. You see how they're kind of drawn to each other? Then came together on them the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. The Pharisees are literally the separated ones. The scribes are the interpreters of the law. And they, what, the, what the scribes did is their, one of their jobs was to copy and, and uh, to preserve the scriptures. The Pharisees, the scribes, were the religious leaders of the day. They came together to team up against Jesus. They traveled quite a ways here to come and team up against him. And uh, when we look at this, when we, and a lot of times we emphasize the importance of God's people gathering together to worship the Lord, right? This is one of those times where you don't want these religious people were up to no good gathering together. Their focus was to look at Jesus and to see what was going on and to nitpick something. Which leads to letter B. Legalist fine lawbreakers. They always will spot it. They will not spot it in themselves, but they sure can spot it in others. If you look hard enough, you can always find something to be upset about. You can always find something that isn't the way you would like it to be, or a tradition you might hold, whatever the case may be. The Pharisees and scribes, they not only gather together, but they were just trying to find something that Jesus or his followers were doing 
so they could say something. And they had that gotcha moment in verse number 2. And when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with the file, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Does this mean that the disciples had bad hygiene practice before they ate? Maybe. Maybe not. Is it a good thing? My wife makes the kids wash their hands before dinner. I wash my hands before supper. I think that's a good thing to do. I think it's in our day and age that we live today, it's good to wash your hands, right? And maybe we get a little carried away with some of the things with hand sanitizer every two seconds and everything else, but whatever the case may be. But we look at verse number three and four. You've got to remember Mark. Who did he write the book of Mark to? Who did he write it to? The Gentiles, right? The Greeks and things. So he explained a little bit here why the Pharisees had an issue with this in verse 3 and 4. I love that because it gives us, because if you're not a Jew, how do you understand Jewish law? So in this book, it gives us a little bit of insight what this was about. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. And so not only did they wash their hands, but they washed the things they ate out of. They washed the pots and pans. They washed the table. And I think all of us in the room would agree that's, that's a good thing, right? If I go to someone's house for dinner, I hope their plates are clean, right? And sometimes, and it ha I remember years ago, it was it was... Was that, it wasn't here at this church, at a different church. There was this lady that you go to her house and she ever give you a cup. There was never a clean cup. Never. Nothing was ever clean. And for my birthday, pa um, Brother Brian, because I was an assistant pastor there, I baked you a cake. Did Brother Brian eat the cake? You don't know, and you never will know. It's one of the reasons why potlucks scare me at times. You don't know the hygiene practices of everybody. That's where I like it when some people come to me and be like, Pastor, you need to try this because I made it. And I know, okay, I need to try that. And then someone else might say, Pastor, you need to try this. And I'm like, that will be the one that I stay away from right there. Say, who and what? That's none of your business. Don't worry about it today. Everything, it's okay. So when we look at this and we see these things and we look a little further into it, they, their hand washing was, they had quite the display for it. So I was going to bring, in this, I went down to my parents' house yesterday and I was going to bring back, they have this old wash basin thing, I was going to bring it and do an illustration for you, but I forgot. I'm turning into some of you in this room. You are who you hang around so I forget some things from those who I hang around, Gene. Anyway, so, but what, what they would do is they would start, and they would, so you're right-handed. You would take the water in your left hand, and you'd pour on your right hand a little bit. You're going to pour on both sides. You're going to pour on both sides, and then for 30 seconds, you take your knuckles and scrub into your hand. And that was just part of it. 
it could go on and it could go on. And the Bible tells us here that they, you look at those verses there, it says that they um, holding the tradition of the elders. The word holding means to grasping firmly. They were absolutely holding to the tradition of the elders. It was not a bad thing, and it's not a bad thing to wash your hands. And in fact, some, some people should do it more often than they do. I see some of you this morning. Some of you got your hands on your face this morning as we're going through church. And then you're going to go shake someone's hand. You probably should wash your hands because you touch your, or, you know, maybe you shook someone's hand earlier and then you're now touching your face or whatever the case may be. And uh, just a little thought there for you. And hygiene's a good thing. I'm not against hygiene. I believe in hygiene. But you got to understand something. It's important to do. But let's go, let's just say this. Does the Bible say you have to wash your hands before you eat a meal? It does not. Is it a good idea? Sure, it's a good idea. The only reference I could find in the Bible was for priests to wash their hands and feet before they entered the tent in Exodus 30, verse number 19. That's the only time I found anything in the Bible about it. So what became as something that was good became a tradition that ended up binding and blinding people to what really mattered in the long run. And you could even look and in, you think about in just in the Jewish writings and things, over 35 pages were devoted to washing alone. 35 pages! And yet in the scripture, this is as far as it goes right here. 35 pages. And this is what you see right here. And you notice that not only did they follow the tradition of washing hands, but they had many other traditions that they followed. They focused on cleaning cups and all these pots and pans. And I'm thankful for I'm glad about that. And, and if you have me over, please wash your pans and your dishes and things. But you'll notice that as we look here, and with that background, with the background of these verses, you kind of see why a verse in Luke chapter 11, verse 46, takes on meaning when Jesus said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne. For ye yourselves touch not the burdens of one of your fingers." Where Jesus, and what he says is complete opposite of that, isn't it? In Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And what I'm trying to say is, legalists, those who focus on tradition, really weigh us down. 35 pages on hand washing and washing, when the Bible doesn't say much about it. Jesus came to set us free. That doesn't mean don't wash your hands. Please wash your hands. And Peter, you're walking out. Please wash your hands when you come back in, okay? <laughs> uh, sure, keep that guy out. Don't let him back in this morning. <sighs> the legalists, they confront Jesus. We see the legalists love other legalists. Legalists find lawbreakers. And then, letter C, legalists, what do they do here? They correct Jesus. 
they correct the Savior. Serving as judge and jury, these hypocritical holy men ask a question meant to discredit the disciples and Jesus himself. Because you know if you're looking at these followers of Jesus, they're following Jesus, right? So when you would have a rabbi and the rabbi had followers, if those followers weren't doing what they were supposed to do, it looked bad on the guy who was the leader, right? So we look at verse number 5, and it says here, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? It's amazing to me that they would go and they would correct Jesus on what his followers were doing. Legalists are very good at pointing out everyone else's problems and not their own. We see number one this morning, the legalists, they confront Jesus in this passage. Number two, Jesus condemns the legalists. And the one who had the right to do it is the one who did it. Because Jesus knows the heart. Now, I love Jesus here in this passage. Because he doesn't answer their, look at their question. Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? That's their question. But what does Jesus do? He does not answer their question about their tradition. He goes directly to the word of God. What a great example for all of us that we see before us. And in verse number 6, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Elias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written. The word well means rightly or suitably. And then quoting the Greek translation of Isaiah 29, 13, Jesus directly applies the scripture to them. And what's taking place. And look at what Isaiah 29, 13 says. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And we see that Jesus goes into right here in verse 6 and 7, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, as we dive deeper in here, and I didn't get, did I get notes for the sermon this morning? I did not, and sometimes that happens. Not supposed to, but that's all right. But as we look here, so I don't know if this is in your notes or not, but there's a few things we can learn from Jesus' response right here. The first thing we can learn is the fact, always go to Scripture and apply it to life today. That was Jesus' response. What a response for the people of God today. But I'll tell you this, it takes the people of God studying the Word of God and knowing the Word of God to apply the Word of God to life today. That's why the Bible talks about the study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. It scares me when I hear a message preached by a pastor and I hear very little about what the Bible says and I hear what they have to say. I've heard many messages through my years and, I've, and this is, these are the ones I don't like. Alright, we're going to read this one verse. Now I want you to close your Bible and listen to me for the next 30 minutes. 
The message needs, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And if you will notice something, my preaching has changed a lot in 11 years, almost 11 years. But there's a lot more Bible says than Brian says. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how we need it to be. That's what Jesus said right here. And then, not only this, always go to Scripture and apply it to our lives today, but the next one, this is a good one. Resist adding or subtracting from Scripture. That happens a lot, and, that's wh- and it's also very important to take the Bible in context with where it's at. Because you can say a lot of things that mean uh, absolutely nothing. Be careful about adding or subtracting from Scripture. Thirdly, letter C, it's easy to say or sing something and not really mean it. Our lives don't always match what comes across our lips. And then letter D. Scripture must always take supremacy over tradition. Always. Always, always, always. Several well-meaning groups of people Catholics, Mormons, Muslims, a lot of Baptists, a lot of Baptists, but tradition over Scripture. I've had many people in the past few years tell me, Pastor, you've changed and you've compromised where you stand on things. No, I'm done following the traditions of men, and I'm going to follow the Word of God. And if you don't like that, then go find a stuffy traditional church and you go there. I'm not going to be a traditionalist. I'm a biblicist. I will go with the scripture. If the scripture talks about it, I will talk about it and preach about it. If the scripture is silent and it's a tradition of the church, then you, whatever church you're at, you have whatever traditions you want. You do whatever you want to do. But when we elevate tradition to the level of Bible, we have major problems going on. And Victory Baptist Church, you mark my words, you mark them well right now. As long as I am the pastor of this church, we will not put tradition over the word of God. And I will also let you know in the past there are times where I have. That will not happen anymore. Not going to be that way. And if you don't like that, go find a church that makes you feel better about yourself. We're going to follow the word of God. And And I'll just say it one more time. And if you don't like it, I don't care what you like. It's his church. And if you don't like it, there's two doors. He builds the church. He adds. He takes away. It's his church. And I'm going to lead it the way that he would want it done. The Bible's number one. A few people like that. Not many people like that. But maybe we got some legalists in the room this morning. We're not done talking about legalists. We're going to get back there in just a minute. To make sure that they didn't miss his message, Jesus then pivots from Isaiah and applies it to each of them personally. You notice in verse number 8, he used the word ye. I don't understand the word ye. You, okay? That's pretty simple there. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the traditions of men. 
Laying aside means to dismiss and let go. They've, dis- they've dissed or dismissed the commandments of God, and instead they laid hold or grasp on their tradition. We do it a lot. Him or a worship song. There are some people that believe you should only sing hymns in church. That's a tradition. Because before hymns, they did a lot of chants, and people didn't like when hymns started coming into the church. Some people think we should never sing hymns and just sing worship songs. And I think the Bible says that we're supposed to be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. I think that's what the Bible says. So Bible trumps tradition. Some people get carried away. If you're not wearing a tie to church, you're not right with God. Did Jesus wear a tie? Did he? No, he didn't. Say, Pastor, why do you wear a tie? Because I do. Say, I don't wear a tie every service. And probably if I quit wearing one Sunday morning, some of you would have a cow about it. So I'm trying to help your spirituality stay well, so I wear it. Jesus didn't wear one. Is there anything wrong with wearing one? No. Is it good to dress up for church? Yes, I think it's good. I do think it's good. But when we elevate it, we got to be careful about the things that we elevate. We want to elevate scripture, not tradition. We see that Jesus confronts them or condemns them. And then number three, and we're going to get lastly here, Jesus corrects the legalists. Jesus isn't done exposing their legalistic laws and their hypocritical beliefs and their behavior. And we keep on reading verse number 10. It says, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through the traditions which ye have delivered. And many such things do ye. Such like things do ye. Now, we're going to be finishing here in just a minute. And I'm going to explain this Corbin thing to you and help you understand what this is talking about here in just a second. Well, let me give you a great example of this. I'm going to give you 2021's version of what Jesus said right here. You ready? I believe the Bible. I see what the Bible says, but I think this. That's what Jesus is saying right here. The scripture says to honor your father and your mother. But you say, be very careful. They say, I believe the Bible, but take your butt out of it. Leave the scripture alone and follow the scripture. Ah, Here we go. Verse number 10, we see that Jesus quotes the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. It's found in Exodus 20, verse number 12, and it's stated positively that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. 
One chapter later in Exodus 21, 17, and again in Leviticus 20, verse number 9, Jesus quotes the negative side of the same commandment. Whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. I can't prove what the Pharisees were doing when Jesus was talking to them right here. But I can see when, when Jesus said, Moses said to honor your father and your mother. I could totally see the Pharisees and the scribes. That's right. That's true. And then he goes a little deeper with them. But ye say, he exposes the hypocrisy that they have. And we got to be very careful about this. Verse number 11 says, But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And the word Corban, it means a gift, or a, and some would say like a gift to God. So if it's something, so think about it this way. If a person pronounced something Corban, it became sacred and therefore could not be used to help their parents. That was something that was sacred for God or sacred for something, and they couldn't help them with that thing, whatever the case may be. It was like a deferred gift. It was pledged to the temple, but in many cases that gift was never given. And so you got to understand something. If someone were to claim something to be Corbin, you think about you when you make a vow, you have to keep a vow. That's how it went with this thing. So it was rather convenient, but sounded pretty spiritual to say that this thing was Corbin, so they didn't have to help someone with it. So let's just use a modern-day example. So let's say your mom and dad, their coffee pot breaks. And let's say if you're a coffee person in the room, you have, you have a real, Caroline has a fancy coffee pot though Donald's gave her. It's fancy in the fact that it wakes me up every morning because it grinds the beans itself. But it tastes so much better with fresh beans. And it's so much better to be sleeping at 5 in the morning and not the coffee pot going off. But anyways, she's not here at the service, so I can say that. So, but she has a fancy coffee pot. We label that Corbin. Mom and dad need a coffee pot. They need help because they're, they need their coffee in the morning. Sorry, I can't help you. This has been dedicated and set apart. This is a special gift. And they could do that with several different things. And when you think, and look at what it says in verse number 12, and he suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. You notice the word ye again. They not only gave people a way out of helping, they, and, you, and if they didn't care about their, whatever the case may be, they actually did not have to do anything at the end of the day if they didn't want to. And they could just say these things. A little thought for you this morning. I'm, gonna not, I'm only going to park here for a few seconds. But speaking of caring for parents, listen to what 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us. It says, do you have that? But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. I don't care how old you get, if your parents are living, and even if you and you can go down that road, you can do whatever you want to say there. You should honor them as long as they live. Our society throws them to the curb 
and put them in there. And sometimes nursing homes are what, and it has to happen. But that means you go visit and you be a part of their lives and you don't just leave them there to rot the rest of their days. It's sad what we do today with those who brought us into this world and took care of us. And God doesn't like it either. Even Jesus on his deathbed. Hey, John, make sure to take care of my mom. That was Jesus' example. And I think that we as a society and as a whole need to do a much better job in that area. And I'll leave that there. Verse 13, Jesus gives a stinging indictment to these spiritual hypocrites. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. The word none effect was used to annul a contract to mean to cancel or revoke something that was binding. So do you see what they were doing? They were letting their traditions wash out or wipe out God's word. And this wasn't the only time they did this. It says here, and many such like things ye do. It's easy for us to pile up a list of legalistic hypocrisies. But I wonder, what are we doing that we should change? Legalism can be defined as a strict adherence to the law, specifically as it relates to faith. A legalist is one who believes that performance is the way to gain favor with God. Legalism is the human attempt to gain salvation or prove spirituality by outward conformity to a list of religious do's and don'ts. I'll repeat that one more time. Legalism is the human attempt to gain salvation through our own works and and this is important because its term has broadened in our day to day. Or those that prove their spirituality by outward conformity to a list of religious do's and don'ts. That's what legalism is today. I gave you these a few weeks ago. I'm going to give you these last few thoughts and we're going to be on our way. And I know we're past time, but we're all right. I gave these to you some observations about legalism back when Last time Jesus was confronted with it. I want to give these to you again. I want you to get these, to get to know these well. Number one, the letter A, we tend to think others are legalistic, but that we're not. The fact is, in some instances, we are all legalistic by nature. We tend to judge others by our own standards of what is acceptable and not what biblically is acceptable. We think our sin is smaller than someone else's sin. It's human nature. But your sin, my sin, it all put Jesus on the cross. Sin is sin. But we tend to think others are legalistic, but that we're not. Letter B. Legalism is highly contagious. You think COVID is contagious? Legalism can spread very quickly. That's why Jesus attacks it right away and goes after it. Let her see. Legalism can take a vibrant faith and make it dull 
and lifeless. It can evaporate enthusiasm, joy, stifle spirituality. And I, I, I'll say it, a lot of independent Baptist churches, independent fundamental Baptist churches, are losing it today because of their legalistic tendencies. But once life-filled churches are becoming dull and lifeless, because it's all about the traditions that they hold. Some people don't like hearing things like that, but it's the truth. Number four, her letter D. Legalism produces large quantities of self-righteousness, judgment, and condemnation. Do we have self-righteousness? Oh, my righteousness is as filthy rags. The best Brian can do is like a filthy rag. What right do I have to judge someone else or condemn them because they don't dot their I the same way I do or cross their T just like me? But that's what legalism does. It produces large quantities of these things. Letter E. Legalism makes us narrow and divisive. The legalists insist everyone must live up to the standard they adopt. In other words, everyone needs to be like me. When we think this way, you destroy a church and what God has for a church. Because God designed individuals to be a part of a church. But it makes us narrow and divisive. And lastly, legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. There is nothing that pushes someone away faster than a list of rules and regulations. Because what happens is instead of pointing them to our Savior, you're like pointing them to a drill sergeant. Jesus is not a drill sergeant. He's our Savior. Now on the other side of that, is there rules that we should follow and things? Yes, we all know that. We're not going, we understand as a Christian, our lives should be different. We should not be like this world. There's lots of things I could say about all of that. But a lot of times, most of us fall into legalism without even trying to. It sneaks in. One of the best ways not to fall into the trap of legalism and things of that nature is just to serve people with needs. This is what Jesus said. Are you ready for what pure religion is? This is, this is what the Bible says. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To wear a suit to church, to part your hair just like pastor, just perfectly. That straight line right there. Perfectly part your hair. Carry your King James Bible in your hand. Only sing a hymn. No, 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 no. Pure religion undefiled before God and the fatherless is this. To, or the father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's, give me, the, give me that old time religion. That's good enough for me. That's what pure religion is. So let's make sure traditions can be a good thing. I like traditions. Caroline loves traditions. The older our kids get, the more family traditions we have. And the more family traditions you have, the more money it costs for all those family traditions. But I enjoy family traditions, and I hope that we're able to carry those on. I think it's a good thing. I had them with my parents. Traditions are a great thing. I think in church, traditions are good too. There's nothing wrong with tradition. 
But the problem is when you take your tradition and you're like, here's God's word and here's my tradition. No, 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 no. These are all our traditions and everything else, and here's God's word. That's the church that we want here. That's how it needs to be. God's word is on top. That's what we need. Next week, we'll go a little deeper and see where all our problems stem from inside. Because legalists have this idea, you wash your hands or you look right on the outside, then everything's right. No, 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 no. The defilement starts on the inside. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It all starts on the inward, and it will come outward. That's why some people, if we get them, if we get them dressing right, we get them doing this and doing that, they're going to be good Christians. No, if we teach them the word of God and the word of God gets into their heart, they'll be a good Christian. Some thoughts there this morning. Father.